0: Wow, well, this week I did some sermon prep by sitting literally in uh, this theater watching a movie. I've not done that too often. Usually I've got my nose poured over a few books sitting at a desk. But i got to tell you, I think I could get used to it. It was, it was kind of fun. Hey, let me ask you before you get rolling into talking about X-Men and then ultimately looking at God's Word, which is really what makes it a sermon. Otherwise, we'd just be talking about some cool stuff. A Sermon is based from God's Word, so we'll be going there as well. But I want to ask you, anybody in the room this week have a birthday? Would you just kind of raise your hand? Any, anybody in the room? All right. There you go. There you go. I saw a couple ladies. I want to ask you how old. How about an anniversary? How about an anniversary? Anybody in the room? All right. There's a a few of those. So so here's the thing. There's a tendency sometimes when you come to a church service like this and you don't get a lot of time to interact with each other, to forget that the people you're sitting around have normal everyday lives happening all around them. They do. I mean, they have kids that are graduating high school and going off to college. They're taking vacations. They're dealing with illnesses. They're being challenged at work. They're trying to figure out what to do with their kids on summer vacation. They're thinking about having kids, not having kids, getting married, dating. Life is happening all around. And sometimes when you come to a facility like this or an environment like this and you're in a service like this, you might forget that there's real people all around you. Well, today we're going to talk about real life in a very practical way, kind of using this movie as a jump off point. That's one tendency that happens in a church environment like this But here's another one Sometimes, especially with dealing with the topic we're going to deal with today There's a tendency to think that church or religion or a relationship with God Is really all about sin management It's all about me trying to get you guys not to do bad things And you generally cooperating or not And and I want to let you know right off the bat That is not at all the point of a relationship with Jesus It's not about sin management in other words, God doesn't like you more if you somehow are better or gooder. Uh, I know that's not a word, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. He doesn't like you more if you're able to winnow out all the bad and get near as perfect as you can. See, I think there is an understanding at work in our world that says if you plug into church, if you're a church kind of guy, if you're a religious kind of girl, then what you're about is being good. Now, here's the problem with that is it's a misconception that keeps you from grabbing hold of a central truth that I think is life changing. Now, let's all acknowledge that some of the Bible, a good portion of it, does talk about sin and God's displeasure with it. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about temptation and the challenge between good and evil. But I want you to hold this tension in your head. While I talk about it very practically, I want you to make sure that you do not make a mistake that would be very easy to make. I do not want you to make the mistake of thinking that what I'm trying to get you to do is earn a relationship with God, or be good enough so that he likes you, or be good enough so that he gives you his divine favor and smiles on you. That's not the point at all. We're going to discuss what the point is in a few minutes, but that's not it. Well, let me talk about this movie just for a few minutes. See, X-Men Origins is all based on a comic book called The X-Men, and they've been making it into movies. I believe this might be the fourth one that's been out in the last couple of years, if you saw Wolverine anybody see Wolverine good one see so here 's the deal guys i 'm a guy. I like these films. I like watching these films with my boys, uh, both my buddies and my own kids because you know there's a lot of like explosions and fight scenes and adrenaline gets pumping there's really good stuff but here's the thing that i 've discovered when I used to teach high school when I talk with the guys on staff when I talk with my own kids is a lot of times in the movies that we find ourselves emotionally connecting to or intellectually connecting to in this case kind of just you know i don't know hormonally connecting to it It just gets me kind of revved up as a guy I just want to go around grunting and you know eating steak and that kind of I don't whenever you whenever you watch a movie that connects with you very often there's something deeper going on there's an underlying theme and a lot of times in the superhero films like this one is there's a theme of a basic cosmic struggle between good and evil and the ever-present threat of evil in the world looming large over everybody else. And there's a basic question. Who's gonna step up and deal with the evil? Who's gonna bring justice to bear on the issue? Ah, that, that, that's a good conversation. Because that is, in large part, an overarching storyline in the Bible as well, that there is an enemy of our soul, and he works on a corporate level to bring destruction and chaos into our lives. And the story of the Bible is God looking at people who are following him, who have a relationship with him, who have received his forgiveness, accepted his love and brought into the covenant of acceptance that he offers and him looking at them and saying, now, will you partner with me to accomplish my work in this world? My work of love, my work of order, my work of belonging and acceptance, my work of justice and peace. Or will you simply go with the flow, the general theme at work in this world and work towards your own agenda everybody working in their own way, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, and, the, and might makes right, which way will you go? We could, we could go that way, talking about this movie today. I mean, for instance, we could look at Dr. Xavier and how he gathers a group of people in this film. If you haven't seen it, uh, you might, you might want to take a look at it, especially if you like these kind of things. You might want to look at him and the group of people he gathers as they try to come against very powerful evil forces. You might want to look at Magneto, for instance, as he originally is part of the inside of the good group, but he has this thing in his heart that he's never really dealt with. And ultimately, that undealt hurt in his heart causes him at a pivotal point in the movie to turn and go in the other direction. And instead of being a part of the good, he becomes part of the bad. We could talk about that, but that's not really what as a pastor gripped my heart this week. See, I don't want to talk about the overarching theme of good and evil alone in the world today. I don't want to talk about X-Men and the overarching theme. I want to talk about what happened in a primary character's life, a guy by the name of Magneto. I could just as soon be telling the story of any number of people from the Bible. In fact, I probably could be telling your story today as well for many of you. It's the story of the guy who was hurt. He was wounded. He was disappointed. He was frustrated. He was cheated significantly in life. He had bad things happen to him that he wasn't responsible for. He didn't cause them. And it took root in his heart. And rather than there being a cosmic struggle at work in the world, like on a grand scale on a 30,000-foot view, there was a battle raging inside of his heart for which way he would go. Would he go in the direction of love and acceptance by the group fighting this evil force? Or would he give way to that hurt that took root in his heart, that was giving birth to all kinds of challenges, emotional challenges, spiritual challenges? challenges in his life. And would he then pursue his own path as opposed to the better path set for him, a path that would be marked by destruction and chaos? Yeah, there's a big battle for good and evil in the world. There really is. But there's a battle for good and evil in your own heart. If we bring it down from the 30,000 foot view and make it right where you're sitting right now, right where I'm sitting right now, there is a battle raging. You have not just a corporate enemy of our soul collective, not just an enemy of this world, not just a chaotic order, There is an enemy of your soul personally. And God doesn't want you to give way to that. There is a cosmic spiritual struggle happening right now inside of all of us. We use words like temptation to describe the the challenge. We use words about just, uh, you know, following righteousness is the biblical word. Right ways of being and right ways of doing or unrighteousness. We use the word of holiness or worldliness, godliness or otherness. This, these words, often the Bible, are words used to describe that internal struggle, a, a struggle you'll see written large if you watch the movie X-Men First Class in Magneto's life as he comes, tries to come to terms with his issues. And he's given a very bold invitation. Don't give way to the hurt. Let go of that, and let's move beyond it and get beyond the stuff. Don't give in to the wounding of your soul. Let's move in a different direction. I I don't want to make it a spoiler, but at the end of the day, uh, that struggle inside of him sets the larger struggle for the rest of the entire X-Men series. But your Bible has a lot to say about this. How many of you are old enough like me to remember a television comedian by the name of Flip Wilson? Anybody remember this? Yeah, you guys are old. I'm just saying straight up, just, just like me. I am 42 years old. And uh, I remember Flip Wilson, and he's on Netflix, by the way. Well, he had a famous little line. He'd get into these characters, and he had a famous little line, and he would say often, the devil made me do it. He, like something bad would happen, and somebody would say, why did you do it? He'd be like, the devil made me do it. And he'd flash his pearly whites, and the audience, they'd put the laugh clap on, and, uh, and you know, everybody would, would do the thing, the devil made me do it. I, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that talks about temptation, and the challenge going on inside of your soul. It's in your Bible, in the book of James. In your Bible, in the book of James. Now, several of you said that you wanted to bring your Bible and notebooks with you to take some notes. And what you're going to find over the next few weeks is just some very, very practical stuff. My my Bible and my notes are right here on my Kindle. I want to tell you something about temptation and the cosmic struggle going on. Not 30,000 feet above you, but right inside of you. Let me tell you what's going on. Three simple truths. You know, in every temptation that you face, there is a battle, a battle for, for instance, your future. There really is. Every temptation, there's a battle for your future. You're going to be given options. You might have had one this morning. You could have had one yesterday. I bet you don't have to go very far in your week where there was a temptation right in front of you. It was, in my case, a temptation to grab another piece of dessert. Or not. Now, I don't want to make too much about that. After all, it's just food. But most of us who struggle with food issues, like myself, realize that sometimes there's some spiritual stuff going on underneath there. And so I have a regular temptation. Do I take another piece of dessert? Some of you in the room, you have internet temptations or relationship temptations or honesty temptations. Oh, we don't have to go very far back in our personal histories to deal with the truth that all of us have temptation in front of us. And every temptation... In every one of them, there is a battle for your future. But but I want to make something clear. It's not just about you. See, in every temptation, almost, there's not only a battle just for you, but there's a battle for the future of the people you love. I bet there are people in this room who grew up in homes where somebody who was faced with temptation made the wrong choice. And that wrong choice and the consequences of that choice Caused all kinds of fracturing and splintering in the home that you grew up in. There was temptation. On the line was that person themselves, but not just themselves. On the line was also the future of the people they love, their family, their friends. If you're an employer, people you work with and people who work for you. But there's another level at which temptation Lingers and presses in on it, presses in on our own future, the future of the people we love, but it also presses in on the issues of our faith. See, it's not just about the pain you bring into your own life, that's sometimes more obvious and clear. And sometimes, when we experience the negative consequences of our choices, when we make the wrong choice when faced with temptation, we become very aware of that when we experience the pain. That, that's often what happens. The little kid tells the lie, he gets caught. He tells more. Eventually, it begins to unravel, and there's embarrassment and shame. And hopefully, that teaches them, don't tell lies. The person, you know, lifts something that they didn't pay for from a store. They get busted. Hopefully, they they learn the lesson. Somebody doesn't honor somebody else in a relationship. They gossip behind their back. The truth comes out. Hopefully, they learn the lesson to control their tongue. The pain sometimes makes us available and receptive to the lesson but it's not just the pain we feel. See, there is your future, the future of the people you love. There's also your faith at work. See, the Bible makes this perfectly clear that sin, our sin, the temptation we face, choosing the wrong option, that kind of sin separates us from God. And there are some of you in this room, and you want deeply to have an authentic, intimate connection to God, And yet you know, your conscience is right there in front of you, that you have made willful choices to go against what you knew was right. And that gap that you sense between you and God is a direct consequence of your sin. This is part of the story of the Bible. It's one of the reasons why, while God isn't simply into sin management, it's why he takes sin so seriously. Because sin destroys. Sin destroys separates sin destroys us internally it destroys relationships and it disconnects us upstairs with god sin is a big issue the battle raging every day in your soul to follow god or not to give in to temptation or be faithful is big in part because so much is riding on it your future the future of people you love and the issue of your faith and how deep and connected you are to god So where does it come from? I mean, is Flip Wilson right? Is it the devil made me do it? I want to just very calmly and very directly take you to one of the most practical books in the Bible. If you haven't read the book of James in a long time, you might want to go there. James chapter 4. So if you're at James chapter 1, go a couple pages over. James chapter 4. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Listen to what he says here. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So this is kind of standing against that whole, the devil made me do it. It's always an outside force. What this passage is trying to get us to see is that inside of us, Certainly inspired by demonic stuff. Certainly overarching, connected to the evil one, the Bible calls him the devil. But inside of each of us, without anything needing to lead on us, there are forces at work in us that if left unchecked, the Bible right here says, James says, causes fights and quarrels among us. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And then he says, verse 2, see if you can't relate to this. You might not be able to see it in yourself, but I bet you can see it in somebody around you. Here's what it says. You desire, but you do not have so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have, listen to what he says here, because you do not ask God. Let's pause for just a second here. He's talking about this internal struggle, like in the movie we're talking about, like Magneto faced, but he's talking more. He's talking about All of us, now I'm talking primarily here, guys, to folks who are trying to follow Jesus, but if you're not yet in that circle, you're just trying to figure out what this thing is all about, don't forget what I said when I began. I'm not talking about sin management, but for those of us that are following Jesus, who've experienced his grace, we wanna take sin just as seriously as our leader did, Jesus. So every once in a while, we get together, and we talk about it, and we try to encourage each other, don't go down that road. We do it because we love each other. We don't do that perfectly, of course. But deep down, we love each other, and we don't want people to experience the pain of the negative consequences that always come when people choose the wrong option in a temptation triangle. We also do it because the Bible tells us, our leader Jesus tells us, that we're to encourage each other even more as we see the culmination, the end of time approaching. We're to encourage each other. We're to gather together regularly, and we shouldn't put off gathering together so that we can encourage each other. That's what I hope you experience today as we talk about this internal struggle. I hope you experience some encouragement because I don't want to, as your pastor, as a person who cares about you as much as I know you, and for some of you I care about you more than I know you because I feel like a certain spiritual burden for this congregation. I don't want you to trade your future. I don't want you to, in a moment of decision, go the wrong direction because something inside of you, a wounding or a hurt or a sin struggle, or a tendency causes you to move in the wrong direction and you trade your future. And I don't want to ever have to sit across the desk from you and your spouse and talk about what are you going to do with your kids when you get a divorce? Because somebody made the wrong choice. Because somebody couldn't get a grip on their eyes. They couldn't manage their tongue. I don't want to have those conversations. And on a spiritual level, I don't want you to experience the alienation that comes from being careless with your choices and not taking sin seriously as God takes it seriously in the Scripture. He knows the damaging, destructive, chaotic forces that sin brings into our lives. And so he argues, he encourages, he in fact, because he's Lord, commands us. Put off sin. Resist the devil. Flee from him. Go in the other direction. If temptation is here, turn and run. He says to young men, for instance, flee, which means run. Get the heck out of Dodge. Flee sexual temptation. Get away from it. Because if you don't turn and run, it will grab hold of your heels before you can get out of the room. And then you're going to have a hard time turning off the computer. He doesn't say computer. They didn't have them back then. But I think if he were writing today, that's probably what he'd say. And so he says, don't get caught in that. You're going to trade a moment of pleasure. You're going to trade a moment of what is often coming from a place of hurt or a lack of knowledge or ignorance. You're going to trade a moment for your future. Don't do it look at yourself and realize, yeah, it's out there. And you can argue about the evil going on halfway around the world and what's going on in that country and what went on down the street and what you saw on the news. And in all your arguing and discussing about what's going on all around you, don't forget that right inside of your own heart, the same battle is being raged. And don't give in because it will bring chaos and destruction to you. You have a choice and I have a choice. James says, your own battles your own quarrels, the own struggle at work within you. And then he says, you don't have things, things you want, things that because you want them, you'll go after them. You'll trade your integrity for them. You don't have them. And look what he says, because you don't ask God. He connects, and this might take a little bit of wisdom on your part, but I think you're up to it. He connects our confidence in God, our commitment to God, our connection to God, to this temptation struggle. He, It's almost as if he's saying, and this is unpacked in other places in the Bible, that if we had full confidence in God, if we had a full connection to God, when we come to those temptation moments because they can't be avoided. Listen, listen to me, man. I don't care if you're 60 or 16 in here. You're regularly going to have opportunities to trade your sexual integrity. It it doesn't matter. It's going to happen to you. You're never going to be able to fully avoid that as long as you live in this world. Everybody in the room, you're going to have regular opportunity to trade your integrity and tell a lie instead of telling the truth. You're going to have regular opportunity to cheat and slander and gossip. You're not getting away from temptation this side of heaven. It's just the lot we live in. But when you come to those moments of temptation, James is saying, and it's unpacked further in your Bible, that what happens is is you can have a connection to God that is deep and authentic, a confidence in Him that when you're faced with a temptation... The scale slips, tilts on the side of your confidence in God. God, what I want is this momentary pleasure with her. But my confidence in you says that you can supply my needs. You can meet me where I am. You can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. My heart right now is saying to me that what I want is that. But God, underneath that, there's a longing to be known and to be connected and to have intimacy. And those are good. So I'm not going to trade the good that you are calling me to for that temporary lie over here. A confidence in God. Here's what he says. You don't have what you want because you haven't asked God. Let me just ask you this. If you're struggling at all, wherever you're struggling, when's the last time you asked God, not just to help you with the struggle, but to help embolden you, make you confident in him enough so that when you're faced with that temptation, the scale tips in the right direction. The, The arrow on the road goes towards the right. When's the last time you looked up in honesty and said to God, God, I need you here. The lies of this world are speaking loud to me. The hurt from my past is telling me to act the same way. I'm being called towards revenge. The bitterness that has taken root in my heart is causing me to really contemplate. But God, you're bigger than this. My confidence in you is in you and I won't give in to this lie. But James doesn't stop there. He says, for some of us, the, answer, the, the, the problem isn't that we don't ask God. We ask God all the time. This next line gets me. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna lie. This, this next line does like spiritual surgery on my soul. He says, You do not have because you do not ask God, then verse three. And then he says, and when you ask, you do not receive. That'd be me on occasion. Because you ask with wrong motives. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. A little honesty in the room here. Can we do that for just a second? You ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Listen to me, guys. We've been in an economic downturn. In this country. And it's been a great opportunity for everybody to take kind of a corporate pause, look at what's going on economically in the world and say, now, God, what would you like to teach me through this? Some of us, I bet you, like me, you've prayed that God would bless your family financially. That's a good prayer. He, he wants to do that. But then he comes alongside and says, if you want blessings from me financially, then what you do is, is that you honor me with the blessings you already have. So wherever you are, you honor me with that. It's called generosity. It's called giving. The Bible talks about tithing. You can work through that yourself. You're all intelligent people. And on occasion, I teach about that. But just for the point, don't get caught up on the, on, on the, on the detail yet. The point is, though, that God says, I want to bless you there. But to do that, you've got to free your heart. There has to be a corresponding generosity. Because if you simply ask for financial blessing for yourself... To spend on yourself all the time. Clearly, there's the language of commerce in here to spend what you get only on your own pleasures. We could take it beyond money. It could be all kinds of things. It could be some of us only wanna be in a relationship with that person over there because somehow they feed our own sense of insecurity and they make us feel better about ourselves. We call that like, you know, when I was in high school, she's arm candy, you know? You, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, he doesn't really even like her, but she's pretty and his friend wanted to date her. So he asked her out. Anybody you ever? I actually did that once. It's very bad. It's very bad. A friend of mine said, look at that girl. She's hot. I said, I'm going to ask her out. And I did. She said yes. I don't know why. I, she, I thought she was smarter than that. She looked pretty enough to be smart. But she said yes. And he, here's the deal. I stayed with her for like three months. And uh, this is terrible sad. I'm just being honest to you as a pastor right here. I didn't even like the girl, but she was really hot. And so my buddies thought it was cool. Yeah. Uh, isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible? Now, now listen, God says that sometimes then, Things like real connection with another human being who knows me and I'm known by them and loved and loved. That would be elusive to me because what I asked for, I wanted only for myself. And I wasn't willing to let God do his work through the very things he was bringing in my life. That happens in finances. It happens in relationships. It happens with our planning about the future. Listen, this is not meant to be complicated spiritual stuff. What, what James is doing here is laying bare Our hearts. And he's saying, let's just be honest for a moment. Let's look in a spiritual mirror and say, yeah, we can blame mom and dad. We can blame the forces in society. We can blame our parents. We can blame our schools. We can blame our teacher. But at the end of the day, there's something going on inside inside each one of us. And we should look ourselves in the mirror and say, now, God, help me deal with this tendency in my own heart to not put you first. Help me deal with this tendency in my own heart to go for my own pleasure first. And instead, God, would you guide me in the path that you would have me go? Help me to say no to this temptation. Look at what he says. Now, verse four, he's hearkening back to some language that was used often in the Old Testament, which means he's getting pretty serious. Here's what he says. You adulterous people. What he's basically saying is, is you have this authentic connection with God. It's like you're married together. And yet you could keep putting other things in front of your relationship with God. I mean, you check out on your relationship with God for a moment of pleasure. It's like you had an affair on God, you adulterous people. Don't you know that your friendship with the world puts you at odds or puts you in enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world or the system of the world or the values of the world, ego and self-serving and pleasure first, Anybody who does that becomes, in effect, an enemy of God. You're running in cross directions. So when you pray to him and ask him to give you things that serve the purposes of the world alone and the purposes of the world that work in you, God's not there to answer those prayers for you. It doesn't work that way. Or do you think that the scripture says, without reason, that he jealously, God jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us. He gives us his spirit when we become his sons and daughters, when we begin a relationship with him. And he jealously longs for that spirit he gave you to commune back with him. He wants to be connected to you. Sin separates that. Verse six. But he gives us, look at this next two words. Oh, I love this. He gives us more grace. Listen, Many of you in this room, you got grace already. It's covered your past sins. You're in a relationship with God. You've been baptized. That's awesome, but that's not what this is talking about. He gives us more grace, additional grace, greater grace, deeper grace, wider grace. Not just the grace that secures heaven. Listen, God doesn't want to free you from your past sins simply so you can spend eternity with him. He wants to free you from your sins here and now. So that you can walk in the beauty of deep relationship with them here, not just there. I grew up in a religious tradition and we always talked about over there, over there. When we all get to heaven, everybody be happy over there. And we all long for heaven. And sometimes we forgot that the very God who's securing over there for all of us is present right here, right now. He doesn't just want to free you from the consequences of your sin on some future event. He wants to free you from the grip of your sin right now. So if you're in an addiction, you can't control yourself with a substance, with an activity. He wants to free you from that. He gives you More grace. Not just grace to be forgiven, but grace that empowers, grace that helps you overcome. And when we focus our eyes on him more closely and more diligently than the opportunity in front of us to go the other direction, it builds a confidence in us, a boldness in us. If you you tweet, here's the tweet of the week. He doesn't just want to free you from the consequences of your sin. He wants to free you from the grip of sin here and now. I don't want you to trade a moment, a decision, a momentary pleasure, and trade your future. I don't want you to trade your family. I don't want you to trade your faith. Ah, listen, I'm not about managing your life. This church isn't built around rules and structure. That's not our thing. But the word of God speaks loud on this issue. Say no to sin. Sure, be angry about what somebody else does. Be angry when somebody else doesn't treat their wife correctly. Yeah, be angry when some kid dishonors their parents. Be angry when somebody gossips about somebody else and you hear about it. Of course, that's out there. What are you gonna do for yourself though when you're faced with the same issues of honor and dishonor? Integrity, no integrity. What are you gonna do? God calls us to go in the other direction. Let, let, let me just ask you to say this with me. Here, here's a phrase that's been going over and over in my head this week. When I'm faced with temptation. And I don't want to sound like wiggy out right here because this, th- this could sound like maybe really spiritual for just a second, but just just trust me for a second. When you're faced with temptation, here's the thing that's been going on in my head. Just kind of looking at the thing and naming it, temptation, you know, dishonesty, sexual temptation, gossip, slander, what, whatever the thing is. Not keeping my commitments, what, whatever. Whatever. Look at the thing and making a declaration of You're not going to take my future And you're not going to take my family And you're not going to take my faith That's what I want for you I don't want you to trade a moment For your future Your future with God Your destiny with him is supreme And I don't just mean in heaven Although that's going to be great I couldn't even put that in words I don't want you to trade a drink or a pill or a girl or a guy or a job opportunity or a a mark on a paper that's dishonest. I don't want you to trade any of that for your future. Nobody that ever gets busted ever thinks they're going to get busted, do they? They find themselves caught. They never think they're going to get—don't trade it. And I don't want you to trade your families. Listen to me, men. Listen to me, men. Don't trade your family for momentary pleasure. Don't give up what's eternal and lasting and lingering for what's momentary and dissipating. Your life is a vapor. You can say no to a lot of things. You do not have to believe the lies of this culture, the lies of your enemy. Don't believe it. Hold fast to God and don't trade your future and don't trade your family. And don't trade your faith. Your relationship with Jesus is the most precious thing. He gave his life for you. It's the most precious thing we have. And when we pray to him with that attitude, God, you're first, whatever you want. God, I think I need this. I think I want this. Here's what he does. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. God, I, I think I need a million dollars. Maybe or maybe not. I mean, Listen, if you got free time, pray for that for Ben. Pray for your pastor this week. For saints, pray. But then, here's, the, here's, what, here's what our loving God does. He doesn't give me what I want. No, my confidence in his character, my confidence in Jesus says he gives me what I need. That, my friend, is a game changer. It's a game changer for us. Why don't you grab out your Connect card? Let's take a few steps together. <clears throat> I wonder if there's anybody that would memorize the verse that I did not read. James uh, chapter four, verse seven. Here's what it says. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I mean, when you're facing it, Put up the wall and say, I'm not going there. Listen, memorizing the scripture is one way to hide his truth, his word in our hearts so we don't sin against him and get all that junk in our lives. I'm memorizing this passage uh, again this week. You can join me with me by checking the box and you put these in the offering bucket when it comes by later. Here's next step B. This might be the easiest spiritual step we've ever taken. Uh, Watch x-men. I said origins. It's called first class with pastor ben on wednesday evening this week we'll do it right here if you check this box I'll send you the time somewhere around seven o'clock We'll do it right here in this theater and we can kind of contemplate this internal struggle while all the world's happening around We can look at that internal struggle that's happening there And maybe you can use that as a jumping off point You can invite a friend and you can talk with them about what's going on in their lives as well Now here's the next step c some of us the truth of the matter is we need real accountability in our lives I mean, really, now listen, accountability never changes a deceptive heart. So you can have accountability around you all the time, but if you're a liar and a cheater and you just lie to your accountability people, it doesn't affect anything. And so some people, especially in churches, they'll prop up accountability as the, as the fix-all, as kind of the silver bullet killing the werewolf. Doesn't happen. Accountability and honesty and a willingness to change, now that's, that's a powerful combination, all right? Some of you need real accountability. And if you need this in your life, you check this. You can, I'll send you a simple email on Wednesday. You can shoot me an email back saying, Ben, if you help me find an accountability partner, uh, I'd be honest and I'd be willing to change. And I'll help you do that. We have people in this church who are mature and wise. They've been walking with the Lord. They've dealt with real life issues and they can help you. But again, if you don't want honest, real help and if you're not willing to be disclosing, just don't waste anybody's time here. You're, you're just deceiving yourself. All right, and here's next step D. One if there's anybody in the room that would say, Ben, I need to submit to God a specific area of my life. I've tried to talk general. I've hit some of the big issues that people struggle with, but I don't know your individual struggle. All I know is I don't want you to trade your future, your family, or your faith for a momentary pleasure, for a lie. So if you have an area in your life that's been a constant issue for you, and it's a wounding you can't let go of, or a sin you keep struggling with, why don't we just give that to God right now? You can check the box and know that your staff will be praying with you, your pastoral staff and I will be praying for you this week about that. But right now, I'd like you to just bow your head with me if you don't mind, everybody in the room. And let's just do what James 4, 7 says and submit to God. Listen, if you're in a good place with God right now, then you start praying for your brothers and sisters around you. Maybe you don't even know their names. I'm gonna lead those folks that are needing to give God a piece of their life. I'm gonna lead them in a prayer. Lord, Our enemy crouches behind every corner and he's ready to lunge out at us. He seeks to distract and destroy and to kill, bring chaos. Oh, but God, you're greater. And sometimes, God, through the circumstances of our life, there are seeds planted, seeds of deception and dishonesty and hurt and pain and confusion and all kinds of identity issues. God, I pray that whatever's going on in our hearts represented in this room, individually, that God, your spirit would begin shining light on it right now. Holy Spirit, bring your light of conviction to us. Quiet the lies of our enemy. God, there are some people in the room right now who are doing heart business with you. They're confessing sin. They're receiving more grace. God, you're good. Let your truth speak loud. And God, I pray that every person around this world who sees this movie, X-Men First Class, that it will cause them to pursue the God behind the truth. That God, your spirit would draw them. I pray it in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen and amen.